Welcome to Tech Talks, a podcast hosted by the Rotman Commerce Fintech Association about all things business, finance, and technology. Let's dive into today's episode. Hello, and welcome back to the Tech Talks podcast. Today, we're here with Lori Vayner, Principal at CPP Investments Board, for our private equity episode for the Gender Gap in Finance and Technology series. Welcome to the podcast, Lori. Thanks so much, Heidi and Emma. It's a, it's a pleasure to be here. So to kind of kick this off, um, what made you interested in private equity? Yeah, that, that's a great question. Um, I didn't really know what private equity was in high school or even university. And it wasn't until I worked in investment banking that I learned what private equity fund investing was um, and it piqued my interest. And the reason for that was when I was in capital markets as an analyst at RBC and BMO, it was a great experience and learned really great technical skills, hard skills, problem solving skills, um, learn how to value companies and assets. But the nature of the work is your transaction, your advisory, which means that you, you know, work with a team to advise a company or a corporate, whether they want to buy an asset or sell an asset or raise equity. And you deal with that for that particular transaction, but then the journey kind of ends there. So you don't have a vested interest in like what happens when we advise our client to buy a company. And so the more that I did it, I thought, wouldn't it be cool for my next stage of my career? I actually you know, got to be an investor and got to be part of the team that opines on whether this is a good investment. And once we make the investment, you have a vested interest in the performance of that asset or of that fund commitment from my perspective. So that's the main reason why I got interested in private equity is working and hoping to work on the investor mindset as, as my next part of my career. Yeah, that's very interesting. Thanks for sharing your experiences. So moving on from that, then what were some challenges you faced throughout your time in capital markets and how did you overcome them? Yeah, I think this is a great, great question. And I don't necessarily think this is just related to capital markets. I imagine that, you know, females in many other industries face this as well. But I think one of the things that I've faced being a female in capital markets and also, I guess, in private equity is because it tends to be, you know, more male dominant. Females often, you know, have to struggle with either being respected or kind of being liked. And what I what I mean by that is females that tend to, you know, be more assertive or have more confidence tend to really be respected by their teammates and by peers and by leaders, where females that tend to exhibit more traditional female qualities like being kind, empathetic, tend to be really liked, but not necessarily, you know, respected. And so, you know, one of the things that we've worked on as a team because of this is finding a way to kind of structurally empower professionals, not only females, but, you know, anyone to be able to display those skills or those traits with confidence. So specifically within our team, we now have a kind of a chief challenger role when we look at a commitment. And so that person is now responsible for pushing the deal team, asking the tough questions, being that assertive voice in the room to make sure that we're making the right investment decisions. So that's just, you know, one of the things that I faced, not only in capital markets, but private equity. Mm -hmm, Awesome. So you kind of touched on the aspect of, you know, being confident as a female in order to 
assert yourself. Do you have any tips in that area, especially in the aspect of imposter syndrome? Have you ever felt that? Yes, for sure. I think one of the things when you face, when you walk into a room, let's say, and you don't look like everyone else, you know, being one of the few females, when I walked into the room during my analyst class uh, in investment banking, I was one of the few females there. And so you feel like you have kind of that weight of, I, I need to represent all females because I'm one of a few. I think that definitely happens. And what's important is that the more that we kind of talk about diversity and inclusion and feeling like you have that weight on your shoulders, the more that there's awareness about that within your colleagues, within a corporation, you can start to, to kind of battle that. So by making more like an inclusive, equitable culture, people won't have to necessarily feel like that all the time. And that's what, you know, hopefully with podcasts like this, we can start to battle that. Yeah, those are some great tips. Thanks for sharing that. And you also mentioned that the finance sector is largely male dominated. So would you say that this is also the case for CPP investments as well? Yeah, that's an interesting question. And I'm very happy to report that CPP investments, diversity and inclusion and equity has been such a focus for us for a very long time because we fundamentally believe that a diverse team results in better decision-making. A diverse team, not only just gender diversity, but diversity of background, diversity of thought, diversity of experience um, just leads to more robust discussion and therefore better investment decisions. And so because of that, CPP has invested significant time and resources in ensuring that the infrastructure within CPP is set up so we can have a diverse and inclusive culture. And so I'm happy to report that within, you know, private equity, there's still definitely progress and work that needs to be done, but roughly 40% of investment professionals as of the end of January are actually female. And that's up from 36% just two years ago. Yeah, that's really great to see the progress that's been happening, especially CPP investments kind of leading and actively creating change in that area. So that's really great. You also have previous experience working in investment banking at RBC and um, BMO. So did you find any differences related to kind of the environment there and the gender gap in capital market as opposed to private equity? Yeah, I think I was frankly just very fortunate that both at RBC and BMO, even though I was the only female investment professional um, within those offices, the small offices, the team made an, an effort to make sure I felt included from the beginning. And you know what's really great to note is when I first joined RBC, I'll give you I'll give you an example. Um, there was a tradition that on the first day the intern or the analyst would have to eat as many hamburgers as, as they could. That, if you think about it, the goal of that is team building. It's going to be, you know, let's get everyone in a room. We'll do something funny, fun. You know, it'll be good for team building. Um, but I think the team realized, hmm, maybe perhaps this isn't the most inclusive behavior, forcing someone to like eat a bunch of hamburgers. And so without, I was prepared to do it, but without me having to say anything, the team thought, you know what, let's just no longer do that. Why don't instead let's go out, grab a, a really nice lunch together as a team and actually get to know each other. So that's just a, you know, a small example. Again, I was fortunate that my colleagues um, really embraced creating an inclusive 
culture and equitable culture. And I, you know, I was a beneficiary of it and hopefully that's going to continue going forward. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that sounds like a really fun experience. And it's great to hear that you have been included in the environment and people are working on that in the capital markets industry. So what do you think should be done to like minimize the gender gap in private equity and like capital market roles? Yeah, that, that's a great question. I feel like there's a, there's a lot, a lot that can be done, um, but perhaps I'll just highlight you know, th three things. So the first thing you wanna think about is if you wanna increase representation, regardless if it's gender diversity or underrepresented groups, you have to start from the funnel. So where are you actually looking to hire? And you might have to get a little bit creative. So if you're a private equity shop and you tend to only hire from investment banks, and we know that investment banks maybe have a gender graph, you've got to be creative about where you're seeking out these professionals. So it could be partnering with organizations, partnering with schools, partnering with you know, internship programs or creating internship programs for some of these non-traditional hires or that you haven't gotten into the funnel to be able to kind of expand that pipeline. Then the second thing is, okay, once you have identified these candidates, ensuring that you remove as much as possible any unconscious bias within the interview process. And you know, to do that, one thing that you can do is focus on actually assessing for potential and focus on assessing the qualities and the attributes that you actually need for that job. And you can do that through a case study. You can do that through specific questions that test on the attributes that you need for that job, rather than saying, hmm, just go out, yeah, meet that person, you know, have a chat with them. Do they look like you? Do you form a bond? Based on the resume, it looks okay, so, so just hire them. So just being very deliberate about removing any unconscious bias in your, in your interviewing process. And then the last thing comes around sponsorship. You know, again, the research has shown that we tend to like people that look like us and have a similar experience to us. And so if you have an organization that's predominantly, you know, white and male, they'll have an easier time forming bonds with, you know, junior professionals that kind of look like them. So if it's a, an important priority for a firm, to, to promote these individuals, creating like a, a formal mentorship program where senior leaders get paired up with professionals, you know, across all the different departments and not just specifically in their department and across, you know, females, people are underrepresented groups, people with disabilities, everyone, then you can kind of create that, um, you know, formal sponsorship mentorship that might not otherwise happen naturally. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's really great. Um, so what would you say helped you get where you are today? And what advice would you have for others who want to set up in a similar direction, whether it's like private equity or capital markets? Yeah, good question. I think if I can kind of summarize it, it's almost call it, you know, three things. One is hard work. Two, let's say is being okay with rejection or failing but then having that grit to keep going. And then third and fourth is frankly, just being in the right place, right time. And, and, and there's an element of luck. And I'll tie that back to how I even first broke into finance or you know, capital markets, thinking through when I was applying for my internship in my third year, 
The hard work came from, I obviously studied very hard in school, got good grades, prepared for my interviews, you know, tried to read as much as I could, um, spoke to people. So that's the hard work part of it. The next piece of being okay with rejection is I, I ended up being fortunate in getting three interviews at three different banks, did the first super day, didn't do a great job, you know, stumbled, was nervous, but learned a lot from that process. And so I thought, okay, you know what, I'm going to go to my next interview. I'm going to take what I learned from that interview process and, and try it again. Did that, made it to the final rounds, but you know, didn't ultimately get the job. Obviously it was disappointing, but then the third time I really looked back on my true prior super days and thought, okay, I know what I need to work on. I know where I went wrong. I know what I didn't get right. And finally was fortunate to get the job. And so the, the, the lucky part around that is I knew that I didn't have as much experience as other candidates out there. You know, my previous jobs included being a camp counselor or being a server. I was, you know, a TA in school, but I, I didn't have investment banking experience before I applied. Um, but what was, to be honest, great about RBC is that they saw the potential in me and they took, as I mentioned, an approach that was like, let's ask the questions that will be required for the job and let's test on the aptitudes that are needed to be a good analyst versus let's just look at the resume and hire based on that. So I think those things that I mentioned is an example that, that I think allowed me to get into capital markets in the first place. Mm, yeah, that's some great advice. Thanks for sharing your journey on how you broke into capital markets and kind of looking at that from a different perspective then, what advice would you give to your younger self? Yeah. Oh man, there's so much I'd love to, to say to my, to my younger self. Yeah, maybe a, a few things here. The first one is don't be afraid to be uncomfortable and actually seek out situations where you feel uncomfortable. Because if you don't push yourself out of your comfort zone, you're just not going to grow and you're not going to, you're just not going to develop. And so like a little secret for you guys is I'm actually quite nervous about public speaking. I don't like it, but I, I try to seek them out just because if I don't push myself, I'm, I'm never going to get comfortable and I'm never going to grow. So it's like f- fighting that fear pushing yourself to continue to improve, making yourself uncomfortable is the place where you want to be because that's where you grow. The next one is around just being okay with failure. And what I mean by that is it's okay to make mistakes. Just know you're not perfect. No one is perfect. But when you do fail, learn from them, move fast and, and carry on. People that have that grit, people that have that resilience, tend to be the ones that are more most successful because nothing's perfect. You often hear about tech companies having to pivot, having to iterate. It's not like they sit out and did things perfectly. So it's those individuals that can develop that grit, that muscle, that resiliency will get really far, not only in your career, but also in your personal life. Yeah. Thank you so much for sharing that. I feel like I resonated with a lot of what you said there, especially the aspect of putting yourself out of your comfort zone. Um, I think that's like really where you kind of make the most improvements on yourself when you do those things that kind of scare you. So thanks for sharing your experiences. So kind of going into um, career-wise, what kind of other positions, jobs, or career paths have you considered in the past and how did you decide on the position that you have now? Yeah. So if I think about even back to when I first got my job in banking, to be honest, like I, 
I knew it was a really great job. I didn't know much about it, but I thought, you know what? I've heard that it's an incredible experience because you, you know, get to do things that other people don't get to do for such young of age. So I decided to try investment banking. So I, you know, almost stumbled into that. Then after that, as I mentioned, uh, as I was in that role, I learned about what private equity was. Um, I got interested in, you know, shifting to be that investor mindset. And what I liked about private equity was that long-term nature of the job. You know, you're investing in these companies or these businesses and hopefully transforming them, making them better for the long-term. And that's how I think. I'm a, I'm a long-term thinker and I love that about private equity. So when I was thinking about a career, love that element of it. And I also enjoyed even though I didn't get to do it personally, but if I looked up at my managing directors uh, at investment banking, the relationship management aspect of it, the personal side of, of that job, I really liked and I wanted to, to make sure that was a core component of my next role. So within private equity, as I you know networked and, and learned the different aspects that were out there, I learned what fund investing was, which is what, I, what I'm in right now. Um, and I also, you know, learned about private equity investor relations. And so when I was thinking about my jump after capital markets, what I wanted to do next, I pursued, you know, both those things, private equity investor relations, and then being a private equity funded investor. And what tilted me to do the latter was around same thing. Like I knew I wanted to try to build my investor muscle. And if you're an IR, you're still on the client facing side. So you would be the person you know, li liaising with the investor, forming that relationship, being responsible for any data requests that they have, any questions that you have, but you're not the one actually opining on whether an investment's a good idea or not, or whether you should make it or not. So that's what kind of tilted me to private equity fund investing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's really interesting. And it's great that you really like your job because it must get really busy sometimes. So actually liking your job, you don't really feel tired doing what you do because you're enjoying it. So now wrapping up then, um, our last question is kind of related to like your current position. So what are your favorite parts of working in private equity and what parts don't you like? Great question. I think I feel so privileged being in this seat, particularly at CBP. So one of the things that I love about my job is just the access that you have speak with some of the best minds in the industry. So as a fund investor, what do you what do you do? Our job is to commit capital to private equity firms for them then to go out and use that capital to to acquire companies. And so it's really a, a people business. At the end of the day, my job is to assess people and to, to assess um, the propensity of these people to generate really strong returns on behalf of their institutional investors. And so one of the things I love is I get to go and kind of meet with individuals, test them about, you know, what their investment strategy, what's the best way to create value across companies, talk to them about different industries. So if you love companies, if you, if you love investing, if you love learning about different industries and different strategies, there's, you know, no better place to be. There's also a tra travel element, which is quite nice. We get to travel to, you know, London, New York, LA, San Francisco, you know, these amazing, fantastic cities that you're there for business. And then you, you know, if, if you have an hour between your meetings, you get to check out as well. 
And as I mentioned, a, a great part about this role is the relationship management piece. So once you make the investment and the commitment, um, you get to monitor for, for 10 years because it's, it's a you know, long, long-term investment strategy. And so you get to develop and form these incredible working relationships with people from all over North America and Europe, which I, I, I really enjoy about the job. Yeah, that's amazing. Well, thank you so much again for coming on to this podcast, Lori. Um, it was wonderful having you and you shared a lot of inspiring um, advice and experience. So thanks again. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Tech Talks. We'll see you in the next one.